No doesn't always have to be the final answer. There's always room for negotiation. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? In short, a good time, great conversation, and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to chat. Are you ready to listen? In this episode, we're covering influencer and brand negotiations with Tammy Neely. Now, she is currently the Senior Vice President of Communications and Talent Relations at Find Your Influence and has over two decades of experience in corporate communications. Her career began in professional sports before transitioning to the corporate world. And during her seven years leading the corporate communications team at LifeLock, she executed hundreds of interviews as a corporate spokesperson launched a partnership with the FBI's Law Enforcement Education Development Association, and helped lead the company to IPO. Her expertise in communications and talent relations make her a valuable asset to any team and an exciting guest on the podcast. Let's talk marketing with Tammy. Tammy, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. I'm excited to have you on here today. I have been looking forward to this since we last spoke. I'm really excited. I know we're becoming fast friends and I'm excited about the topic that we're going to dive into today, which is influencer negotiations. I think it's a hot topic and I'm glad that we're going to really drill down on just maybe hopefully getting some tips, some missteps some people are taking and whatnot. But before we dive into that, I'd like our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So I've got a set of questions. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Let's go. So what was your first marketing role? So I've worked in public relations, corporate communications my entire career. And I feel like that is a sister of marketing. It all needs to work together. Mm -hmm. So my first role was when I was in college, I was the director of communications for a minor league men's basketball team. I went from an intern to an assistant director to the director. And yeah, I led all of the media relations efforts for the Grand Rapids Hoops of the Continental Basketball Association, neither of which are around anymore. That's how old I am now. (laughs) But you've got that notch on your belt. So I mean, like I'd still keep it in the resume for sure. And so interesting that you started so early on in marketing as well, too. This is why I like that question. Now, what is your current marketing role? So today I'm the SDP of communications and talent relations for Find Your Influence. It's an influencer marketing platform, but I also oversee our talent management division where I manage social media influencers directly, all the opportunities that hit their inbox, do all the negotiating for that and ensure that their campaigns deliver as promised. I love that. So in your current role, this is what I always like to know. I like to know what you love about what you do. But conversely, what would you pluck out of what you do? Like if I didn't have to do this, I'd be okay with that. So first, what do you love? And then second, what would you pluck out? What I love is talking to people. I'm a very curious person. I love to find out more about individuals. I'm a pick up the phone and have a conversation kind of person as opposed to text or email. I want to talk. I want to get to know you. I want to hear the tone in your voice, how excited you are or not excited you are. Conversely, it's just as important. So that's what I really like. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy helping others succeed. I'm a people pleaser. And if I can bring people together and both sides win, that makes me feel great. The one thing that I'd take out 
is as a talent manager, there is that part where it comes to sending invoices. And if payment terms are 30 days and we get to 35 days and the brand's like, oh, we haven't processed it yet. I mean, come on. I don't like having hard conversations with people, but we made a promise. We did what we said we were going to do. Chasing payments is the least exciting part. I can get behind that, wanting to pluck something like that out. I think it goes to the opposite end of the passion. Because, you know, if you like to talk to people, I imagine you're very creative as well too, right? Get the juices flowing, get the ideas synapsing in your brain. And then when you get dragged down by invoices and payments, that's the boring stuff. Actually, some people love For sure. Some people love doing it and it's the important stuff as well, right? Like if I'm not chasing these payments, the creators aren't getting paid. They've already done the work. It's just more for me. I am an accountable person. And if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I make that assumption. If a brand or an agency says, we're going to pay you by this date and they don't, and then it becomes a hassle and it's this whole back and forth. I'm like, can't we all just be accountable? We entered into this in good faith. We assumed you were going to do what you were going to do. And we did what we said we were going to do. And you're such a people person too. Like, let's have a conversation about this. Where have we gone wrong in this? I like that. Those are really two good areas right there for you of what you love and what you'd pluck out. So let's talk social media networks, right? I'm always really curious where people go to for inspiration, education, and entertainment. So for you, what network do you tap into for those three different things? Or maybe do you go to one network for all of those things? I would say for entertainment, I go to Instagram. Okay. I'm not on TikTok because I'm 46 and I feel like that's where my son lives. So I'm just going to let him have his space (laughs) over there on TikTok and he can tell me all about it. I can access TikTok on my desktop and that's fine. It's work. It's just another app I don't need on my phone. For education, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I was an adjunct professor last semester at Grand Canyon University. And one thing that I tell students is if you're looking for an internship or a career after college, spend the same amount of time on LinkedIn that you spend on TikTok or Instagram. Nice. Because there's so much that you can learn and so many connections that you can make. And it's not just about having a thousand connections on LinkedIn. It's about having meaningful connections. Where can you contribute to a conversation? Where can you chime in? Or what conversation can you start there in a meaningful way? So I don't know that a lot of people say that, but LinkedIn is where I go from an education and a networking perspective. I love that. And then inspiration. Where do you go for inspiration? Honestly, I read a lot of books. I try to read as much as possible. It's already April and I've read 11 books this year. So I read a lot of nonfiction, different stories about different people, different periods in history. So I go there and I think I find a lot of inspiration comes to me from reading other people's books. I am obsessed with that answer. I think that that's amazing. I've turned to audiobooks because I can get through them a lot faster and I can multitask because that's also the only way that I can fold my laundry is if I'm doing something else as well, too. So that's really great. I'm going to have to get a list from the ones that you've read so far this year. I would love to dive into stuff like that as well, too. Well, here, let me share another app with you. It's called Goodreads and you can follow me on there. It's kind of like a social media for book nerds like me. And if you follow me, you can see all the books that I've read this year. So check that out. There you go. I'm going to sign up for something like that now, too. Okay. So because especially in this digital age, everything is changing so quickly, I'd love to learn how you stay up to date on trends. Again, the passion for reading. I start every morning 
I have Google alerts set for a variety of different things and influencer marketing and TikTok ban and all these things that might be trending in the news. So I'll spend the first 15 to 20 minutes of every day reading the news that's sent directly to my inbox that I want to know about. So I'll skim headlines and I'm like, oh, I definitely want to read this. So that's how I stay on top of what's going on. But from a trend perspective, I said it before, I'm 46. I don't know what's trendy. So I rely on the younger people in my audience. My son is away at college. And the number of times I'll text him and be like, hey, have you seen anybody on TikTok doing this? He must be so annoyed with me. But I'm tapping into that younger generation (laughs) to find out where the trends are because I don't know what's trendy, let's be honest. But I know the people to ask about what's trendy. (laughs) I think that's hilarious. It is so true. I tap into my kids when someone says something where I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I feel like I know what it means, but this is a safe space. Could you tell me if I were to use it in a sentence, what's the correct way to use it? I tap them for that kind of stuff all the time as well, too. I'm opposite though. I'm a little obsessed. I'm also mid 40s, but a little obsessed with TikTok. And they have book talk there. That's where I've gotten some recommendations, but I'll have to check out Goodreads. And then the last thing that I was going to share is I love that you recommend for younger marketers or younger people who want to pursue that to really get on LinkedIn. I think it's one of the most undervalued for the younger generations to get on there. One of my son's girlfriends said, oh, I read your mom's post. I was like, how did she even see my post? Because I really only will post on LinkedIn. And he's like, she's got LinkedIn. Nothing has made me happier. I'm like, good for her. She's on LinkedIn. Build up those followers there, my friend. It's fantastic. Exactly. And I'll tell you, I lead the internship program at Find Your Influence. And shout out to James Madison University and whatever they're teaching their students there about the power of LinkedIn. Because I would say the last six to eight interns that I've had have come from James Madison University. They've found me on LinkedIn. They've asked questions. They're very, very intelligent students. And they turn out to be fantastic interns as well. Uh, That's amazing. That's great advice. Okay, so are we ready to talk marketing? Let's do it. Ready to dive into it. Again, we're going to talk about influencer negotiations. Let's start with kind of a softball question. Why do you think that negotiations are a challenge for influencer managers and brands? Where the influencer manager sits, obviously, is kind of the in-between between the brand or the agency and the influencer. Mm-hmm. And the brand has a set of goals that they need to achieve for every campaign. And the influencer says, here's my rate for that. So where the influencer manager sits is trying to make sure everybody's happy. What that is, is that's talking to both sides about what compromise looks like. And so from the brand side, maybe it's not working with a mega influencer who you have to pay these Boku bucks to, but maybe it's working with an influencer that's two or three tiers below. You're spending a little less money for their deliverables, but what you can do now with the additional funds that you have is maybe you can whitelist that content. You can boost it to help you reach your Mm. campaign goals. So kind of where influencer managers sit in those conversations with the brand side is, hey, maybe you don't need this specific creator. Maybe you could work with a different creator who can still help you reach your goals. Or could you work with our creator? We can be a little bit flexible on the rate if you can be a little bit flexible on the deliverables. So it's how can we meet in the middle? So I buy into everything that you're saying in regards to how can we meet in the middle? I've talked to a lot of brands and then as well as a lot of influencer marketing managers. And the idea of negotiations is there's this apprehension, like for someone who understands what it is that you're saying, but doesn't really know how to 
execute that? What does it look like in execution? What are some tips that you can give me? Let's say I am a talent manager or let's say I'm a creator and a brand is approaching me and I'm going to be a very pricey creator. So get prepared for this. I'm going to say, okay, it's going to be 10,000 for a YouTube video. That's what my rate is. So-and-so paid me this as well too. So that's what my rate is. This is the point where I think that a lot of influencer marketing managers get stuck. How do I say no gracefully or how do I bridge that gap and start negotiating? So what kind of tips can you give me for that? If the influencer says my rate is $10,000 on the brand side, they can say, okay, our budget is $6,000. We'd really like to work with you. We don't want to discount the work that you do because it's very valuable. We know that you've curated this beautiful audience that's our target demographic and we want to reach that. So maybe it's not a five minute long form YouTube video. Yeah. For $6,000, would you be open to creating a YouTube short? So it's a smaller, it's short form video. Yeah. Still reaching your audience. And would you also be willing to syndicate that maybe to your TikTok channel or to your Instagram reels? So again, you're not creating a second video. You're just taking what you've already created and publishing it on another platform. Would you be open to doing that? Because you're still reaching the YouTube audience. You're just doing it in short form versus long form. So on that side of things, if you did that, we would just ask that in your comments, you could pin a comment in there with your promo code in there or whatever it is. But the value of YouTube to brands is not only that it's long form, but also the searchability of it, right? So who owns YouTube? Google owns YouTube. And so right now, the ability to be able to go onto Google and search for a keyword or something their algorithm is going to serve up for you content that's on YouTube. They're not going to serve up content for you that's on TikTok. They're going to source their own platform first. And so I think that opportunity there is how can we get creative to still help everybody achieve what they're hoping to achieve? The brand reaches the same audience on YouTube. The creator has to create content in short form versus long form. So that's less time intensive for them and everybody wins in that situation. So what I'm hearing you say is, It really is identifying how you can break it down so that you can meet in the middle. The example that I gave you is a long form to short form, which I feel like, okay, that may make sense and that may open doors as well too. What other tactics can we use? Do you find that there is a lot of talent out there that is looking for longer commitments from brands? And is that a negotiation tip as well too? Or are they really just looking for one and done's? Creators are looking for long form deals because unlike maybe you or I who get a paycheck every two weeks or twice a month, whatever that might look like, creators aren't in that situation. So creators everywhere are looking for long-term partnerships because they know at the end of each month I've created content, I can send an invoice. So it's like a paycheck, if you will, for them. Now, I also see where brands sit. Why would I enter into an agreement with you? We've not worked together. Why would I enter into a long-term agreement with you? I don't even know if your content's going to perform. I don't know if you're going to meet our deadline, timelines. So from a brand perspective, I get it. Let's try this once or twice with you. Let's look at what the results are. And from there, we can talk about a longer-term deal. Even from the talent that I manage, if a brand were to reach out and say, hey, we want to work with you for six months. Okay, what if the agreement says three months, and then we evaluate. And after three months, if we want to continue, there's the option to continue. If we want to terminate, either party can terminate. Because imagine if you went on a first date and decided you were getting married. Okay, you don't really know that much about somebody. There's not an out there. So that's what I'm like, let's date for a little bit before we decide we want to get married. We want to do something longer term. 
because a lot of people look at it and say, the brand may not like working with the creator, vice versa. The creator may say, they keep changing things on me, or they changed an ingredient in the product that I no longer agree with, whatever that is. Let's kind of crawl before we walk, before we run. I can definitely get behind that advice for sure. And I love the analogy of going on a first date and getting married. So not only did you just provide great advice for negotiations, but also great marriage advice, right? It's all a leap of faith, but not that kind of a leap of faith. You have to really take a look at just kind of the commitment. The other thing that I'm kind of curious about is in the example that I gave you, I was the creator that said, I want 10K. One of the pieces of advice that I've always given brands that I've talked to or influencer marketing managers that I've talked to is ask them why. Do you ever, one, advise that? And two, what would a creator say to that? Because I think that there's also this lack of education for a creator to really understand what value they're bringing to the table to also help in those negotiations as well. That's a great question. So if you're a creator and you're saying my rate is $10,000 and the brand says, why? Okay, my rate is $10,000 because I'm going to create long form content for you on YouTube. It's going to reach my audience of three and a half million people. The engagement on my last six videos was, let's say 6%. And engagement is any comment or like or share. Yeah. I know on Instagram, the average engagement is between two and 4%. So let's just pretend those numbers are the same for YouTube. So a 6% engagement would be remarkable. So now you're going with that information. So that's what it takes to reach the audience. Now included in that 10,000, let's say the brand wants to be able to use it on their owned and operated channels. They want to use it in their email marketing. Yeah. They want digital usage rights for 60 days. Okay. That's baked into the 10,000. Now they want exclusivity. So if you are with, let's say this is with Nike, there's a 60-day exclusivity agreement in there. Well, let's try to understand, is that 30 days before the video goes live and 30 days after, or is it 60 days after the video goes live? Yeah. Either way, there is an opportunity cost that if you're exclusive to Nike, that New Balance, Under Armour, Reebok, Adidas, Puma, someone else can come in to work with you and you have to say no. So you're not going to say, I'm going to have to turn Puma down for $10,000. Let's be realistic about this. Unless you're seeing shoe brands come in every day, maybe you say like exclusivity is, I'm picking a number here like you did. Maybe it's $2,000 for the exclusivity. That's already baked in. So in the $10,000 rate that you gave, it's not just the work that you're doing. It's what are the other pieces that you needed to consider when you gave them that rate? Exclusivity, usage, your audience size, and your engagement. Now, how is a creator educating themselves on that type of information that they should be ready with coming to the table and ready with? I mean, obviously on my own networks, I can take a look at what my numbers are and then I can provide that information. But like, is it always followers, impressions and engagement that a creator should be prepared with or should they bring to the table case studies? I guess more the question that I'm asking is, Do you find that they should be putting together creator kits or media kits to be prepared for negotiations when they do arise? So I'm going to go to what I think your first question was of how do creators know this? And I think the short answer is they don't. Influencer marketing is still in its infancy. So we're all just figuring it out together. It's kind of the Wild West right now. So what I'm explaining is what I've used and what's worked for me as a talent manager. That doesn't mean other people aren't doing it differently. Yeah. Now, I also think a media kit is fantastic. That tells brands about you, who you are, and all this. 
what I tell every creator, do not put your rates in your media kit. Yeah. Because your rates change. Because if you say your rate is 10,000 and it includes all of these things and a brand only has 6,000 and they look at it and say, oh, we can't afford her. Now you've just lost that opportunity to negotiate, right? Yeah. By putting those rates in there, I think you can say rates are flexible. Maybe rates start at 5,000 because you're never willing to do anything lower than 5,000. So maybe put that in there. Yeah. Case studies are fantastic only if you have meaningful data in there. And the meaningful data isn't just what you pull from your end of platform analytics to say, oh, these were the impressions, the reach, the engagement. It's so helpful to know if the brand will tell you how your content performed for them. So is this a conversion-focused campaign where in Instagram stories, you've got a link and you can show that 7,800 people clicked on it? Yeah. When those 7,800 people got to their landing page or their website, how did that convert? How many sales did it drive? Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to brands, how did it work? And they're like, oh, we really liked it. It worked. Can we work with her again? Sure. But like, can you give me some analytics? I'll sign an NDA. <laughs> yeah, but like what works? Yeah. I want to be able to learn from this to be able to pass on and be like, hey, when we work with sports drink brands, we have a conversion of 55% when they get to the landing page. Okay. That's great. But see how I just said sports drink brand? I didn't say Gatorade. I didn't say Powerade. I didn't say any of those. Yeah. yeah. That's what I want to do. And I ask brands all the time, we'll sign an NDA. We're happy to. We want to speak to this in the larger form. We don't want to say Gatorade performed this way. Powerade performed this way. We want to talk about it anonymously and we get pushed back all the time. So having case studies is great, but unfortunately, I don't think we're getting the full story in a case study unless the brand is allowing you to sign that NDA and share that information anonymously. That's such a good point. And I think if both creator and brand can come to the table, knowing that also this information that you're passing along is really going to help educate the space as well, too. Because I, for one, think that the more you have out there, these are just kind of like the returns that you can see. These are the possibilities for brand awareness, conversions, UGC that's created and the performance of that UGC. It can really help a brand with negotiations as well, too. Like, help me help you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we should all strive to be able to share some of that information. And to your point, there is the white labeling of it. There is sports drink brand or athletic apparel. You know what I mean? I don't know why we're very stuck on sports right now, (laughs) but that's such great advice when it comes to that. What do you think is kind of missed in negotiations for brands and creators? When I say what's missed, it's because I just had this aha moment a few months ago. And so I was like, oh, I've been missing doing that. Is when a brand says, well, what more can they create for us? If we're going to pay that much, how much more can they create? And what's missing is that syndication conversation. You've already created this short form video. How can we just put it in front of other people on other platforms? And so it doesn't require any more filming, editing, any more of that type of work for the creator. So how can we syndicate it on other channels? And so I think that's an opportunity there. And what I like to do with the creators I work with is I say, hey, they're only paying for an Instagram reel, but if we want to over deliver, put it on YouTube shorts as well. And then a week, two weeks later, let's send them analytics. They didn't ask for, but let's show them we went above and beyond because it wasn't any more work. You just uploaded it, same caption. And that's what we're getting repeat business is they're like, oh, wow, they did something more than they were contracted for. And then they even followed up to show results from it. It's like a surprise and delight type of element that we like to do. 
That is so huge too, because that really speaks to the relationship between like a creator and talent manager and like a brand in general. It is a relationship. You're basically asking for contracted work, but I don't think that people view it in that way. And I think the advantage that working with creators has for a brand versus hiring a contractor is that you can negotiate it versus like a contractor is a flat fee. But there is so much to your very earlier point is how can we meet in the middle? One of the things that you said sparked another question, because I think that this often comes back up again, either in negotiations, in the contracts, or even in the campaign brief, is the editing part of the content for the creators. Like, is that something that goes into negotiations or should that be something that goes into negotiations? And let me clarify a little bit because I don't think that I articulated that clearly, but oftentimes a brand will say, oh, that's great. We want this video. We want to syndicate it, but we kind of want to like either mash it with other videos or put our own bubbles. Is that something that falls in that syndication conversation or is that part of negotiations? Is it more part of after the fact? What are your thoughts on that? So I think if I'm understanding you correctly, the brand is saying we like, I don't want to call it unedited, but maybe it's the final video, but it doesn't have any of the text overlay on it. So if a brand says we want 30 days usage of the raw file and we want to be able to edit it and do that, that can be negotiated. A lot of times what we will do, especially if the influencer's likeness face is in the video, we're going to want approval on what the text is on it, any layovers. If this creator is in support of some major cause and then this brand is in opposition to that cause, we want to make sure that there's alignment. So we're just going to say, hey, we want full approval on this before anything is published. That's absolutely something that can be negotiated in. And we've seen that before. And a lot of times they'll say, in addition to the final video, we want the raw video so that we can use it for period X, term Y, whatever that is, but that's going to be defined in the contract. Fantastic. I like that to slip in that last kind of tip, because I also think those are the things that are missed and you want to be able to leverage the content that they're creating. I think that's really the power behind influencers and the content that they're creating as well, too, is that you can do so much more and it can fuel your entire marketing strategy if you get it right from the get go and you can work with those creators that you really want to. One more thing that was missed and it just popped into my head is that sometimes I'll ask a brand or an agency, did you want to whitelist this content? And they're like, no, we want to see how it's going to perform organically first. Well, how about this? In the contract, let's do the negotiation now. Should you want to flex that muscle? Should the content perform? Let's agree to it all right now. Put it in the contract. If you decide you want to do it, it's already negotiated. We just say, okay, add that to the invoice. Otherwise, we don't. But now let's do all the negotiating up front, put it in the agreement. Because if you find out down the line that two weeks from now, that video has 10 and a half million views on TikTok and you're like, oh, we want to put 30 days of Spark ad behind that. Okay, now we have to go back to the contracting process. And then I have to go through your legal team and that might take two weeks. And then do you still want to do it? If we negotiate that all up in the initial agreement, it's so much easier to say, give the go ahead and do that and then just add it to the invoice. That is such a smart add-on to a contract and part of the negotiation process. And I'd even actually add one more thing from like a brand perspective, because I try to listen from like a brand perspective and I have a knee jerk where I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what it is. What I'm trying to say is you can put down what performance is if this performs well. 
right? Like if the video view hits this, we may want to whitelist and then that's when this is implemented. Like these are the metrics that we say are good performance because one of the things that grates my nerves is being really general and not specific. I think that's miscommunication for both sides and it's left to interpretation, right? The brand should know what a good performing video would be. If it's engagement rate, if it's impressions, if it's views, I'd say even put that down on the contracts because then it's really clear to the creator, like, oh, this did perform well. And I think that's feedback that they can bring to their next negotiations too. I'm so glad that you added that last piece to it. Yeah, and now I'm gonna add one more last piece to your last piece. I love it. (laughs) Is that... Analytics really matter here. Yeah. And if a brand says, our goal for this campaign is for you to drive 50 conversions, we'd like for you to create a TikTok. I can tell you right now, her TikTok doesn't convert. TikTok doesn't have that built-in ability for me to click on a link. Yeah. Let me tell you what does convert. Instagram stories converts. YouTube shorts converts. Would you be open to going to those channels instead, because if conversions are your goals, we can get them for you. It's just not on the platform that you're asking for, because on TikTok, we're seeing that as the awareness play top of the marketing funnel, not necessarily that conversion aspect. I feel like we just talk forever about this because I do think like there's that massive education that kind of needs to happen as well too, of exactly what you're talking about. Like, why are you going to TikTok for conversions? And there are some brands that are really kind of crushing it as far as conversions on TikTok, but like a majority don't, but there is an awareness play to it that feeds into your longer strategy. And I love that you said YouTube shorts are higher converting because they're powered by Google. And you're right, like the search terms, that matters. We could probably go into a debate on like whole TikTok search taking over Google search, which I feel very passionate about it not doing that. But we'll save that for another podcast. We will ruffle people's feathers on another day. You have given me so much time. I do have one final question because I want to leave our listeners with a little bit of advice that you can give to them. If you knew then what you know now, what is the marketing advice that you give to yourself? No doesn't always have to be the final answer. There's always room for negotiation. That's perfect for a negotiation-focused podcast. So... (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much for joining me. The good conversation. You have shared so many insights and I hope that all of the listeners have walked away with those nuggets of wisdom. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap on today's podcast. Here are my key takeaways from the show. Number one, influencer managers play a crucial role in finding a compromise between brands and influencers to really ensure everyone is happy. This involves discussing what compromise looks like for both sides. That was a tough word, compromise. (laughs) But they are really looking to evaluate and understand what the compromise is for both sides. What can we do to reach those campaign goals within the budget? Number two, negotiating rates can be tricky, but it's important to communicate respectfully and find alternative solutions that can still meet the brand's objectives. For example, creating shorter form content or syndicating content across multiple platforms can help you maximize your reach and value and be something you can bring to the table when negotiating. Number three, platforms like YouTube offer really unique opportunities for searchability and audience reach, making it a valuable asset for brands, something to keep in mind for negotiations. So finding creative ways to really utilize this platform while still respecting the needs and the goals of influencers 
can lead to a successful partnership that they are involved in. Now, I'd love to hear what nuggets of insights you walked away with from today's episode. Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team of content allies. Let me know if you want more information. I'm obsessed with them. Check out the episode page to learn more about Tammy and how you can get in touch with me too. Thanks for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.